We weren't sure how many folks we'd have there this morning. So we're a little skinny, but we're glad you're here. You guys know it is the season for giving and for receiving gifts. And usually if we think about Christmas on our side of things, receiving, we're receiving free gifts from others. We have a relationship with them that probably costs us something. But that aside, as far as the gift itself that we receive, it costs us nothing. Hi, Bob. Welcome. Uh, Free gifts. But you know if you're going out during the Christmas season and you're uh, shopping, aren't you a little leery like I am when somebody's offering, a retailer's offering something free? You know, they're, they're in business to sell things to make a profit. And so if they tell you that they're offering something for free, aren't you a little leery? So for instance, online, if you go and do a search for free gift cards, you can get a free gift card. But it's going to require you to sit down and fill out a lengthy questionnaire, which costs your time, and also a lot of personal information that you might not want to give out. So the free isn't really free, or you'll see some offers that say something like, free with a qualifying purchase. So does that mean it's free, or maybe it's not really free? So how really free is free? How really free is free is there something or is there anything of real or especially for us on christmas day is there anything of ultimate value that we get absolutely free this christmas day it's a great time to remember that the only gift that really matters at the end of the day or especially at the end of a life the only gift that matters is so costly we could never buy it for ourselves, but god provides it at his cost us absolutely free, an absolutely free gift. I'm going to take us through two Old Testament stories having nothing to do with Christmas, and then we'll land last in Romans, and then we'll tie those three things together, okay? So we're just going to talk through a couple Old Testament stories. We'll get into Paul and Romans, and then we'll wrap those things up hopefully nicely like a package together. The first story, if you have a study sheet there, you know it's from 2 Kings chapter 5, and this is the story of Naaman, the leper. Jesus refers to him in the New Testament, the leper, and the free gift he received. Now the story goes something like this. Naaman was the captain of the army of the king of Aram. He was an important guy. And the text actually says God had given Aram victories through Naaman his leadership of their army. Not, a, not the Jewish nation, a, a Gentile king and a Gentile captain, but God had given him victory in war. And Naaman, besides being very important, being a powerful man in Aram, right up to the northeast of Israel, he was also a leper. So here's this important guy, powerful, and yet his whole life is compromised because he's got a condition that other people don't want to be anywhere around him. We're not sure if this was leprosy classically understood, something contagious that he would be kept out and away from everyone else or not. But it's something that was defiling, it was unclean, and so it affected every element of his life. Well, Naaman in his household had a little Jewish servant girl, and this little gal served his wife. And this little Jewish girl, though she was a captive, she loved her master, and she told him, You know, if only you could go to the city of Samaria in Israel, there's a prophet there. This would be Elisha. This is in the days of Elisha. There's a prophet there, and I'm sure he could heal you. 
And so Naaman takes the word of this little Jewish captive and he goes to his king and he tells him the same story. This little Jewish girl says, there's a prophet in Israel that could heal me. And so the king loves this guy. He respects him, he loves him, and he wants to help him. So he loads Naaman with silver and gold and costly changes of clothing and he says, head on down with this letter from me to the king of Israel. You go down there and we're going to buy this, this cleansing. So Naaman goes, they load the critters down, he takes the servants, they take the entourage and the wealth, and they go down to the seat of power in Israel to the king. They hand him the letter and say, we want you to heal Naaman of this leprosy. And we've heard you can do it. And you can see where their thoughts were. We've got all this money, and it's a lot of money. And we go to the position of power in Israel... So through money and power, we're going to get Naaman's cleansing, his healing. We're going to buy it, we're going to coerce it, we're going to influence it, one way or another. Well, when they get to the king of Israel, and he reads this letter, he is highly distraught and upset. He says, you know, who am I that I could give life or cure leprosy? And the king of Aram, he's just using this as a provocation. He wants to come in and harm us as a nation. This is what's really going on. Well, Elisha hears of this, and he comes up to the king of Israel and says, Hey, don't worry, you send him to me, and he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman is sent down to Elisha's house. Now here's this important guy from a foreign country. He's got his entourage, got all the wealth, got his servants. This is a prestigious group. They come down to Elisha's house, and you know what? Elisha is so rude, I can't believe it. He won't even come out and say hi to Naaman. He just sends his servant out and says, My master says, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. Naaman is ticked big time for a couple of reasons. He says, you know, I figured I'd come here. The man of God would come out. He would sort of say these powerful incantations. He'd bring the power of heaven down to earth. It'd be impressive, powerful. I'd be healed. Not only do I not get that, I don't see the guy, but also, what do you mean go wash in the muddy Jordan River? If I wanted to wash, there's better rivers back where I come from. You know, forget it. I'm out of here. Well, the servants come into play again, and they approach him, and they say, Master, listen. If the man of God had told you to do something hard, if this healing were costly to you, you'd jump through the hoops and you'd do whatever he said. So he's saying to do something easy. So why not go ahead and do the easy thing? You would have done the hard thing. Just do the easy thing. Why not? Nothing to lose. So he does. And he goes down and he washes in that muddy Jordan River. And the seventh time he comes up, he's healed and he's cleansed. And the leprosy is entirely gone. It's as if he's born again. He's got the skin, the flesh of a baby. A few of those here this morning. You know how soft and fresh and pink that is? Naaman's been reborn, totally cleansed. He is so thankful. And he goes back to Elisha and he says, I believe in Yahweh, the God of Israel, and I'll never worship any other God. I know he's the true God now. And I'm so thankful. Let me give you some of this wealth I've brought for my king to pay for this healing, for this cleansing. And Elisha says, I won't hear of it. 
I won't accept anything from you. Not a thing. Not a thing. You see, Naaman's cleansing, his healing, it was absolutely free. And the truth was, he couldn't have paid for it no matter how much money he brought. You couldn't have given enough money to an individual for your healing. You couldn't buy it. And it wouldn't matter if you went to the king of a nation. You couldn't coerce it. You couldn't pull together earthly power and get that healing. It couldn't happen. So Naaman goes down and the God of Israel heals him, cleanses him of his uncleanness, absolutely free, no cost whatsoever. Free healing, couldn't pay for it, it's his, no charge. That's the first story. Stick that on the shelf for just a second. Naaman's cleansing, absolutely free. The second story is going back a bit further in the Old Testament to Genesis 22. And this is the story about Father Abraham's offering of his son Isaac. This is probably a familiar story to you. You remember Abraham, the first patriarch, right? God speaks to him, sends him out from Ur into the land of Palestine, the land that he would show him and promised him. And you know, Abraham's got all this wealth, all these servants, all these animals. And you know, the only thing that he ever cares about, it's clear in the story, it's the only thing he wants, the only thing he's after, is a son. And yet he and Sarah grow old and they have no son. And one day God shows up and he says, Abe, next year, this time I'm back here, Sarah will have a son. You'll call his name Isaac, laughter, because late in your life, past the time you thought you could, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to bring joy and laughter into your life. Great. And sure enough, a year later, Sarah delivers this little boy, Isaac, laughter and joy into the lives of this old man and this old woman. And Isaac grows up. And on a given day, God shows up again. And he says to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Take your son, your only son whom you love, take him up to the mountains of Moriah. I'll show you the spot. You're to offer him there to me as a burnt offering. It's interesting in the story. Abraham expresses no complaint, no questioning. He just loads the donkeys, gets the servants, takes Isaac, and heads up to the mountains of Moriah. And when he gets there, he loads his son Isaac with the wood. They've got to have a fire for an offering. So the wood that they've brought, he loads on Isaac, his son's back. So Isaac walks up the hill with the wood of the sacrifice carrying on his back. They get to the mountain. Abraham ties him up, he binds him, lays him on the wood of the offering of the sacrifice, takes his knife out, and he's ready to perform the last final act to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord shows up, stop, Abraham. Don't slay your son. I know that you fear God. There's a ram caught in the thicket there. Abraham hadn't seen, didn't know anything about and he offers that, him that instead. You know, as far as Abraham was concerned, when God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him up to me, and Abraham goes through and he does everything. As far as he's concerned, his son Isaac is dead. He, is, he has done everything but put the knife to his throat. In Abraham's mind, he has already given up Isaac to God. And in this story, if you say, what does obedience to God cost Abraham? Well, it costs him everything, absolutely everything. 
Because Isaac is all that he knows and loves and cares about on this earth. Isaac is it. Isaac's the apple of his eye. So for Abraham in this story, following God, costs him everything. His son, his only son whom he loves. Naaman, a free gift, absolutely. Abraham, obedience, costs him everything. Absolutely everything. Now hold those two stories for just a minute. Fast forward up into the New Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. And Romans. In Romans, Paul's magnus, magnum opus, you know, his great work, sort of the bedrock theologically, we could say, of both the New Testament and the Bible. Uh, God offers, Paul says in the first six chapters, the unholy, the unrighteous, the unclean, that would be you and I, the free gift of eternal life. Now, God and Paul want us to be absolutely clear on a couple of issues related to this. And the first is this, that all of us really are unholy and unrighteous and under the right judgment of God, that we are not what we should be, that we do things we know we should not, that we don't do things we know we should. We're not what we should be. Like Naaman, we're unclean before a holy God. We're unrighteous. If you look in chapter 1, Paul singles groups out here. Chapter 1, he speaks to Gentiles. That would be most of us, ethnically. He starts with the Gentiles and he says, you guys that don't know God, uh, you know about him because he's testified to himself through creation. Look around you, the stars, the earth itself. You know there's a God. You know he's not part of creation. He's separate from creation. He's holy. You know some of his, some of his characteristics and traits because of creation itself. But what do you Gentiles do, Paul says? Well, you turn from the truth you know. And you create your own idols, your false gods instead. You're guilty, Paul says, before a holy God. And he gets to chapter 2 and the Jewish nation isn't off the hook either. Because to the Jews, he says, you guys have the oracles of God. You have God's word to mankind. You possess it. But the trouble with you is you don't live it. You don't keep it. You're guilty before God too. And he sums up in chapter 3 this way, he indicts all of us. So he says in verses 10, 11, and 12, there's none righteous, not even one. You know, if we think maybe I'm the exception, maybe that person over there that looks exemplary, maybe they're the exception. It, it's doubly negative, so there's no question about this. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none of us who actually grasp the reality of our situation and God's holiness the way we should. And verse 12 there's none who does good. There is not even one. So guys, none of us here, no one before us, no one after us, none of us can stand before God righteous. We're like Naaman that leper. We are unclean. You know, if you're uh, playing basketball in a place like this in a gym, you get all lathered up, do you know that you stink? <laughs> really stink. But you know to the people you're playing with, they might not even notice. Do you know why? Because they stink too. And to one stinky person, another stinky person doesn't smell too bad. You know our own stink sort of overwhelms the stink of each other. 
You know, to one leper, how bad does another leper look? You don't look bad. You, know, you look okay to me. You know, but to God, holy and righteous, he's everything as it really is. He's perfect. He can accept nothing less than perfection by his very nature and character. To God, God says, guys, you are all morally, spiritually lepers. You are unclean. Unclean, unclean, unclean. You're not what you should be. Now, if I tell you, hey, you've got a disease, you've, you've got some issue, something wrong in your life, you know, don't most of us today, we say, well, okay, what do I need to do about that? You know, I'll go to the doctor, you know, I'll, I'll get my checkbook out, I'll cover the bases on whatever it is that needs to be taken care of. You know, what do I need to do? So we're morally unclean, what do we need to do? Paul says, Romans 3.20, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. You know, when we get it that we're not quite what we should be, we say, I'll be a better person. I'll work a little harder. I'll live a little cleaner. And God says, well, you can't get there. Nothing you or I can do can measure up to God's righteous standards. It's impossible. So if we say, okay, Lord, I get it. I'm a leper, morally, spiritually. I'm not what I should be, but I can take care of that. What do I need to do? Paul says, well, unfortunately, no work that you do is adequate. Nothing you or I can provide for ourselves is adequate for our spiritual and moral cleansing. You can't get there. There's no work we can perform. There's no amount of money that can cleanse us. There's no political, there's no medical, there's no scientific power that can heal us. The truth is God wants us to know if we are to be healed, someone else is going to have to do it. If we are going to be healed and be in right standing with him, it's going to be because someone else gives us something, a gift. Because we can't get there, we can't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't coerce it. If we're going to receive a spiritual cleansing, someone else will have to give it to us because we cannot get there. Paul concludes this section in Romans 6.23 this way. He says the wages of sin. We would say the outcome, the result, the net effect, however you want to think of it in your mind. Because we sin, the outcome of that is death. And death for us, this is physical death eventually, but it's also spiritual death forever. You know, to die separated from Christ is to live, to exist, eternally outside of God's presence. That's hell. The Bible calls that hell. But to die without Christ is to be eternally unclean, it's to, it's to experience a death that lasts forever. Existence, but not what God calls qualitatively life. So the wages, the outcome of our life is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right standing with God, eternal life in the Greek is life to the ages, life that starts now and goes on and on and on. Justification, cleansing from sin is a free gift from God through Jesus Christ. You know, we're somewhat hard-headed oftentimes. We think there's still something I can do. 
And you know, Paul's very clear on this. God's very clear on this. Romans 3.28 says, We maintain that a man is justified, that means declared to be in right standing, spiritually, morally cleansed, apart from works justified by faith. Faith in the Bible is not a work. Faith is, is recognizing, believing, trusting that what God has said is true and simply accepting the gift he offers. No work by faith. He says again in Romans 4, 5, to the one who does not work. You don't work. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. There's no work involved here whatsoever. No work. So how free is God's gift of salvation and eternal life? It's absolutely free. It's absolutely free. No, it's really free. How free is free? It's really, really free. You and I, we don't bring one thing to this equation. Not a thing except our need. You know, the Christmas story is all about what God provides for us, this free gift of salvation and eternal life at his cost. And that's because our spiritual cleansing was purchased by God the Father at the cost of his Son, his one and only Son, the Son whom he loved. Now, let's go back to Second Kings 5 and Naaman. You remember Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, I think, he says, these things that happened before, they happened for your benefit because they show you things. They teach you things about our, us and about God. And this story in 2 Kings 5 is there for our instruction. It's there to bless us. And God used the story of a leper in Elisha's day to give us a living illustration of the free gift of eternal life. So in 2 Kings, Naaman's story, he couldn't purchase his cleansing from leprosy. It wouldn't matter what he brought. It wouldn't matter how much money. It wouldn't matter which king he went to. There was no power on earth that could heal him. All he brought was his need, just like us. He couldn't buy it. God provided Naaman's healing. It was God's power at work. Naaman provided not a thing except his need, his uncleanness. And God provided for Naaman's need at absolutely no cost to Naaman. Absolutely no cost. Naaman's headed home from Elisha's house, and he knows, I've been healed by the God of Israel, and it cost me not a thing. Now, it would be good if the story of Naaman ended right there, but it doesn't. And it doesn't in part because of a servant's greed, and also because God wants to put an exclamation point on the fact that spiritual cleansing is a free gift that costs us nothing. It's God's provision at his cost. It costs us nothing. It's free. It's really free. It's absolutely free. So as this story continues, Naaman has left Elisha's house. He's headed home. But you see, Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi sees this Gentile loaded down with all this wealth, and he's taken off. And none of it's left for us. And so Gehazi runs after Naaman. And he tells him a story. He lies. And he says, hey, some prophets came down to my master and they need some things. Could you help us out? And so Naaman gives him some silver. And he gives him some changes of expensive clothing. And Gehazi takes that stuff back. This is just like the story of Achan when Israel's coming to the land. Just like the story. 
He hides it in his house. And then he goes back to his master Elisha. And Elisha says, Gehazi, where have you been? And Gehazi lies and says, well, nowhere. Just hanging out. I haven't been anywhere. And Elisha says to him, did not my heart go with you when Naaman turned around? And he says, is it the time for you to receive groves and wealth and servants and land? Because you could see what's going on in Gehazi's head. I'm going to take advantage of this guy Naaman. I'm going to get some of that wealth. I'm going to become an important person. I'm going to set up shop for myself. I won't be Elisha's servant anymore. I'll have my own place from all the wealth that I got from Naaman. But Elisha says, Gehazi, the leprosy that was on Naaman, it's on you now. And it'll be on you and your descendants afterwards. Can you imagine? What would that mean? What would the silver and the changes of clothing mean to you then? But you see, God wanted to make sure Naaman knew his cleansing was absolutely free. Couldn't pay for it. Gehazi comes in and says, I want something. I don't want it to be free to him. I want something for myself out of that. And this is a cautionary tale, guys, for us who know Christ. That when we present the free gift of eternal life, the offer of the free gift of eternal life to others, we have to make oh so sure that we are not adding charges and works to the free gift. When we present Christ to others, we're presenting a free gift from God the Father to them plus nothing. You know, baptism is important. As a new Christian, we get baptized. But guys, baptism doesn't heal us, doesn't save us, doesn't cleanse us spiritually. Faith in Christ does. We don't present baptism as a condition of salvation. We don't tell people they've got to be the best disciple who's ever walked the earth. We don't tell people about discipleship before they've received the free gift. That's something for sons and daughters in God's family. We don't front load the gospel telling people you're going to have to obey this and this and this in order to become a Christian. You're adding charges to God's free gift of eternal life through Christ. God wants us to be very specific and very clear on this. The gospel, eternal life, spiritual cleansing, moral cleansing, the ability to stand before God right in his eyes, it's absolutely a free gift plus nothing. Faith in Christ, plus nothing. Absolutely nothing. Be careful when we share the gospel with others that we're presenting the free gift of eternal life to them. The offer of salvation is a free gift, absolutely, plus nothing. Now bring in Genesis 22 again, though. So the free gift of eternal life, the cleansing for our sin, like Naaman's, we're lepers, The cleansing to us costs us nothing, absolutely nothing. But there was a cost for our cleansing, wasn't there? We saw that picture illustrated in Genesis 22. So the cleansing that's absolutely free to us, it costs God the Father everything. The free gift is absolutely uniquely costly. So when Abraham marched Isaac up Mount Moriah to slay him on the altar, he was a living illustration, just like Naaman was of our sin. Abraham and Isaac were for the cost or the provision of the free gift. They were a living illustration. 
God the Father leads Jesus the Son up Mount Calvary with the wood of the offering on his back, the cross member of the cross, and binds him to it and lays him down probably on the same mountain, maybe on the same spot. So the free gift of eternal life, what did it cost the Father? It cost him his son, his only son whom he loved. It cost the Father everything he counted dear. The free gift to us cost God the Father everything. Romans 6.23 again, the wages of sin is death. That's what we get. That's what we've deserved. That's what we've earned. We've earned death. What we do, what we don't do, what we think, you name it. We're spiritually unclean. We make Naaman look good before his cleansing. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, in the season of gifts and gift giving, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ for your moral and spiritual cleansing, what a great day to do it, Christmas Day, to pick up the gift freely given with your name on it, offered by God the Father, at the cost or the expense of his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, pick that gift up and accept it. That's all there is to it. We simply accept the gift freely given. Costs us absolutely nothing. Costs us nothing. If you know Christ, on Christmas Day, by the way, what better time to simply thank God again for what he's given us through his son. That our sins are forgiven, that we know we're children of God, that the Holy Spirit's in us to reproduce Christ's life in us today, that we know our future is with Christ forever in paradise, where there's joy and pleasure forever, where we're all that we should have ever been, sin apart. That's our future. That's the benefit of the free gift. Who wouldn't choose that? And having accepted that gift, who wouldn't rejoice in that and thank God Again and again and again. Christmas and the 26th and the 27th. January. Who wouldn't thank God for the free gift given to us at His ultimate and immense cost? No other gift on earth can compare to the gift that costs us nothing but means everything. Father, what we needed we could not provide. Lord, on Christmas Day, we simply say thank you again for sending your Son, your only Son, the object of your affection, Lord, the apple of your eye, the one whom you loved, and he laid down his life on a cross, on a hill, just like Abraham and Isaac, and he gave up his life. He was our substitute, Lord, so that you could offer us at your cost the absolutely free gift of eternal life. God, Help us to rejoice. Help us to fully embrace and enjoy the benefits and the pleasure and the joy and the peace that comes from knowing you, that we are spiritually cleansed, we are reborn, and that, Lord, our future is with you forever enjoying the fruits of Christ's work. God, we recklessly, we abandon ourselves to your good care and your gift in Jesus. In his name, amen.